0: Hey everyone, it's Scott again, back again after a little bit of a pause. I hope you've been well. So, if you've listened to me long enough, you will know this. I am very meta when it comes to documentary. Which is to say, I'm as fascinated by the making of a documentary as I am the story told by a documentary. And why not? Both stories, the one in front of the camera and the one behind it, are parts of a whole. We typically only see the story that plays out in front of the camera and that's a shame if you ask me because the other story is often just as fascinating and in some cases, even more so. Take for instance, Phil Wall. In his most recent film, The Bookkeepers, these two stories, the one in front, the one in back, blur together so poignantly that they create a story all of their own. A story of a filmmaker and his subject stumbling through new and uncharted territory. As individuals and together. The Bookkeepers tells the story of Phil's mother, Carol, a gifted writer who dreamed of becoming a published author and who finally got there just as fate caught up to her. Her husband, Dick, did what a loyal husband would do he finished the book tour in her stead. Her son, Phil, did what filmmakers do he picked up his camera and followed. What he captures is a journey of a husband working through grief and of a husband honoring his wife in the best way he knows how. Wall also captures interactions with his dad behind the scenes, which lead to some delicate and surprising moments. Wall joins me today to share the story of the bookkeepers, or both stories, if you will. So, hey, Phil, thank you so much for stopping by today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited and I've I've been listening actually to to your podcast and so I'm I'm hoping I can uh, continue the trend. Uh, it's really good. I'm curious if you could
0: start by sharing the thought process of turning the camera on your own deeply personal family story.
1: Yeah, I guess I was sort of catching up to uh, the film as things went along. Initially, my goal was when my mom was alive and preparing for the publication of her book. My goal was to produce content that would help with um with promoting her and 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 her book. Um, and uh, uh, and then, of course, it didn't turn out that way. She died. And my dad, in sort of a inspirational um, twist, ended up going on the road. And my initial goal was then to capture what he was doing and promote, uh, create content that would promote him. Um, And so, and the book, of course, uh, for for social media. And so kind of what happened was, I was out on the the road with him and witnessing afterwards people who would come up to him after he spoke and would come up to me and share their story of who they had lost. So it was really interacting with the audience of these book talks that that really made me think okay something's happening here. What is it? What's, what's this story? And kind of, um, then, then the quest became about, you know, capturing this, um, uh, and the post-production became all about what, what's the value here? What, what do I have to give, uh, um, with this story? That's a long way to answer your question that, that, you know, it wasn't really something that I intended to do it was more of a process that I submitted myself to, and am grateful for all of the films that are out there that I was able to lean on uh, along the way.
0: I would imagine you set out with the intention of making a certain kind of film, and in this this case, it seems like it was a process of discovery. You realized a story was unfolding in real time, and you reacted as a filmmaker would, which is to kind of kind of go in that direction?
1: Yeah. I mean I, like, you know, during the the, the the actual production, during the filming of it, um, I didn't know what I was capturing. I had no idea. Um it was just sort of a gut instinct and um and the things that I thought were valuable during the capture, very few of them ended up in the final product. And some of the conversations between myself and my dad that end up in the film were were ones that I discovered value uh in post in the edit as I was sitting there scrubbing through all of this footage and realizing what what was happening in my life uh, in our in in his life um and and didn't realize kind of the the story arc that was happening the initial thing I wanted to do uh, of course my mom had died and she had asked uh, me to to take care of our book, and so i I wanted to do something to help uh and to ensure that uh that her words wouldn't die as well this this story that that she tells and I thought that I was making a film that would be more about loss and about the months of leading up to her death, and more about that sense of feeling robbed, really. But as time went on, I started to see this other this other story, and, and that voice in my head uh, about uh, feeling that that sense of being robbed it just got it got quieter over time, um, and these other things became more important. And so the, the film the the editing process and the filmmaking process made me confront these things uh, over and over. Uh, and, and decide what's, what's important and what should, should go into a film and what should endure.
0: Tell me about your relationship with your dad, uh, and I'm curious in particular, how did that impact your ability to turn a camera so directly on him and have him seemingly be very okay with it?
1: My dad was, I guess the first thing I, I can say is that he was my basketball coach. So going through, you know, a young age, like he was an assistant coach in our AAU program and then he was the head high school basketball coach. So I was around him in group settings for a long time where he would get up in front of people and and speak, um, whether it was our team or a banquet or whatever it was. So I n- knew that I knew that he would be an effective um speaker in front of groups doing the book tour. Um and I also understand understand that he's kind of a philosopher. He's he's very good at um purpose. You know, he's a lawyer He's a basketball coach. He was a substitute teacher for the priest on Mondays, which was the priest's day off uh, at our... We, I went to a Catholic school. Um, and so he's very good at wearing these different hats and being in those situations and saying, what is our purpose here? Um, it's it's to, to win the game, or it's to get this deal done, or it it's to understand this concept. Um And it's something that I admire about him. When I kind of approached the idea of of filming, um, one, we're on the same page. We both wanted to help the book and uh, understood that video for social media is going to help. And then in terms of kind of on-screen impact, this going back to him being this philosopher... I anticipated that he was going to, as we traveled around the country together, that he was going to kind of think out loud with me, as he often does, you know, talking about something that he read uh, and an experience that he had and connecting those two things to explain this experience that we're having um, together. And also, confront what is our purpose right now. I know him as someone who does that as a practice. And so we do have this level of comfort with each other. And I think it shows in the film. Um, And, uh, and I kind of have a sense of when he's doing his book talk, when he's hitting his talking points And, uh, when he's being kind of authentic and vulnerable with me, um, and, and that was, I think a beneficial, uh, thing for the final product because, um, my hope is that the audience kind of had that, has that same experience of, uh, when he's on his talking points and, and when he's actually, um, kind of having moments of discovery Um, along with me, along with the audience.
0: So the spine of the film are these road trips. And I read that your dad ultimately went to about 120 bookstores on the course of this tour. Tell me a little bit about the logistics of how often you went, uh, how you chose when you went, and maybe other logistics around the travel and how you guys work together.
1: For most of... The filming. I was um, living in uh, Philadelphia, and my mom died in 2014. And most of the the book tour captured was 2015 and 2016. The main one we went on. I traveled with him from our home in Virginia to Bozeman, Montana, and then back. And we drove, we drove together. Um, and then there was another one where we drove to Florida from Virginia and back. And then, uh, Texas, um, I, I flew down to Texas and met him in Texas. You know, I would, I would rent, uh, cameras when, when we make those trips together. But then, of course, over time, things just started happening while I was visiting home. You know, there, there are scenes in the film where I was wholly, unprepared to to capture what was happening but realized as i'm sitting there on the couch that dad's going through something and he's revealing something to me and maybe maybe this is something for for the story that we're trying to tell and so I would just, you know, turn on my iPhone um, and some of it, some of it's just audio that I captured. There was somewhat of, of a plan, um, but but really the the capture, you know, I ended up capturing way, way more than, than was needed. And of course, that's because I had no idea uh, what the story uh, was going to be.
0: So it seems you were prepared for the car trips to be something of a confessional space for your dad. Um, I'm curious about the logistics of actually just filming in the car. Um, my sense is that you were clever enough to realize that by mounting a GoPro, I believe, on the outside of the car, that you could always capture the beginning of something that was insightful and then turn on your inside camera to catch the rest. Did, did I get that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, we typically, I typically had set up a, a GoPro on the dash um, there were two GoPros going, um, sometimes simultaneously, you know, sometimes the battery went dead and one and not the other. Um, there was the GoPros, then I had the handheld camera and kind of, that was, that's exactly what would happen. I, I would run the GoPros kind of in case something came up and then, when something strikes me as oh this might be interesting uh you, you know and you can see in the film i start filming from my handheld handheld camera um for the audio i had uh onboard uh mic shotgun mic on the camera um and then i also would have lavs for both of us that were independently um um, recording onto, like, little Zoom uh, handheld voice recorders. Um, so I would end up with, you know, three sources of video, um, those two sources of audio, and then be syncing that stuff in post. Uh, and, of course, like, the audio would, would run for, like, six hours um, or whatever it was. Uh, and uh, and that led to just a lot of scrubbing through and a lot of listening and watching uh, once I got to the point where I was editing. I'm sure, as you talk to a lot of documentarians, you hear about the excess that's captured, um, and, and this was certainly the case for the bookkeepers. What was your shooting ratio for the film? <laughs> I, I don't even know. I mean, I would say it's like... Maybe like one percent, yeah, it would be nice to it, it it seems like it would be nice to go into something with with more of a plan um but i but I don't think um I think this film benefited uh from uh from that that sort of seat of your pants uh uh shooting approach because um it allowed for discovery uh for myself. And, uh, and I think it comes through and it helps with the intimacy.
0: Yeah. It's almost like a found film based on the way you're describing it, that as the film progresses, you're finding like, oh, this is actually interesting. And I didn't see this coming. And you're kind of discovering the film almost along with the viewer.
1: Yeah. I, at a certain point, um, I, I had the goal of, of laying out the story. Once we get through sort of the context at the beginning, here's what you need to know. Then I wanted to lay out the story, um, you know, it's first person point of view, of course, but with observational principles. Um, And so the way in which I feel that I and consistent with the first person style is that it, the order in which things are told uh, sync up with the order in which I understand things. Um, so uh, the viewer, the audience is getting my experience of the world in, in a way. And I hope room to have their own thoughts and discoveries, um, it was important to me not to editorialize. But in terms of kind of delivering um, key bits of information um, that that move the plot and turn things uh, uh, a bit, um, it's consistent with my own experience and, and how that kind of blow-by-blow blow, uh, went for me.
0: So I, I guess it's fair to say that you know, from the viewer's perspective, the film becomes more about your dad's journey as a widower than about the book itself. That's something that must have caught you off guard.
1: Yes, yeah, I I initially had visions of um, this is going to be about, of course, as I said earlier, it's going to be about my mom dying and that experience, and then it's going to be about how a book becomes a bestseller. And I had these visions of. You know, um, books coming off of a uh, of a um, factory line, getting bound, and um, you know, we're learning about how the New York Times makes its list, and uh, and all of that type of thing, and more focused on the book. Then, as as things progressed, um, you know, like I said, I, I leaned on so many of these other films that are out there. Um, and thought, well, what what actually um, does this have to offer? What does this story have to offer? Does someone really care about um, about how a go- how a book becomes a bestseller? Um, is it really important um, for for me to go through how my mom died um, and how that feels? Um, um, you know, I think I, I read, uh, at one point someone saying, um, that, that grief is the internal, it's the pain it is, um, you know, it's for the individual and mourning is the communal experience. It is the performative. It is the wind that blows you in the, in a new direction and, That's what's happening in the film. That's what was happening in my life. Here we are traveling the country, having this new experience, and we're invited to talk about our loss. Who gets to do that? I felt a responsibility. Um, I felt, hey, you know, this is a blessing. That were invited to go and speak about mom um, and her work and something that was so meaningful to her um, and have this exchange with people. It's a responsibility for me to use this in a way that's going to help others and spark healing. And that's when like my dad's words really started like hitting me more. Um, and they transformed from this is his book talk to like, well, actually this is, this is his message. This is a message. This is, this is a practice. This is, uh, something that we have to repeat. We have to continually restate to ourselves and I have to do for myself. And, uh, so I wanted the film to, to reflect that. And I wanted the film to be something that can kind of carry forward um, and not be nostalgic and stuck in the past. It's really a reflection of where I want to be.
0: So what, what I love about the film is that it, it doesn't have a lot of tension in it. It doesn't need it because it's more of a, an elegiac sort of formula. You know, it's this sweet process of, watching a family work their way through this grief. But there is a plot point of tension that I wanted to ask you about. And it's the point at which you realize your dad is maybe becoming too preoccupied with how many books are being sold. And you interject, it seems more as a son than as a filmmaker, but I'm curious if you could kind of unpack that moment because it's very layered. It's very complicated to me as a viewer. Like how are you, negotiating in real time your role as a filmmaker and your role as a son.
1: One reason I'm really happy to be in this phase right now where I'm able to talk to you about the film is that I'm not making it anymore and I get to be just a son when I'm with my dad. I'm not using that filmmaker uh, cap anymore and wondering if if I should be capturing a certain moment with him or analyzing a certain moment in a uh, um, narrative What way so yeah in those moments where there is that conflict um um that was authentic um that was really like um i mean that that scene in the film is caught is filmed on my iphone just kind of like in the living room and i forget what sparked the conversation um oh he was like looking at the amazon numbers and eventually i got annoyed because he was in my from my experience talking about it for too long while i was trying to watch a movie or something on tv so and i think like he knew that i was filming um, um but at that point we had done it so often uh, and there was that level of trust, and also that understanding that uh, that a lot of what is captured is not going to be used. It was it was important for me to to capture, um, but not important for me to influence uh, as a filmmaker um, what was happening. Um, um, you know, it's important. I, I didn't want to stage anything for the film. Um, one, it's, it's my life that's, that's being captured, uh, which I just want to enjoy uh, uh, especially time with my family and my dad in particular. Um, but I really was, and, and am, I mean, that, that conflict is still there because that's still a balance in the post production and the edit of that scene. Um, I felt that I had, um uh, an improper amount of power um to dictate how that conversation went. So I sort of made the rule that in those instances, dad gets to have the final word. Um, so in that scene in, in in the film that you're talking about, he he gets to win, you know? He uh um and he does make a really good point, which is you know, I'm not worried about, you know, what's a thousand yards away. If I'm walking the path in the park, I'm not worried about a thousand yards. I'm just going five yards and then I'm going to go 10 yards and then 25 yards. And while I do that, I'm going to check the wind. I'm going to check the weather, and. Um, and, you know, I can't argue with that because that's what he's doing. It's, it, he's collecting data. He's getting feedback and it's how his mind works and how he interprets the world. Um, but, you know, me being his son, I'm trying to, and, and you hear the conversation I have with my sister in the film. You know, I, I'm trying to, to, uh, control a little bit and, and trying to protect him a little bit. And I think that that's something that, that surprisingly the filmmaking process showed me is, um, how much I was stepping outside of my lane as his son. Uh, and that's what kind of being a filmmaker and capturing this, you know, led me to. I don't think I would have had that. That that so clearly pointed out to me. Had I not captured it and had to go back and watch it in order to make a point, um, because you know when I sat down to edit that scene, um, I thought it went a different way. Uh, I, I in my mind had impacted my dad and and won him over uh, to my side and my way of thinking. But then I watched it and and uh, you know he really does have the last word. Um, and, and I am really, um, impacted by what he said, but it's, it's funny to me how much it, uh, enhanced my relationship, uh, with my dad, um, and kind of, you know, showed me, um, uh, things about myself.
0: So if I can dig
1: even a little further into this,
0: because it's so fascinating to me, what, What did you learn when you zoom out from the perch that you sit on today, looking into the past, about your ability or any filmmaker's ability to subordinate their filmmaking to the primary relationship at hand? Do you feel like there was a, you know, a wall between those two roles or was it fluid and you always had to manage seepage?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's fluid. I mean, I... Uh, resented a lot of times having the film on my mind um, when things would happen Uh, there's a scene where we go to the storage unit um, that's near the end of the film and uh, that day um, I forget what I was doing but you know I was just I was in another mode and then my dad says to me uh, hey I'm going to go to the storage unit and um take care of a few things you want to come and I'm kind of thinking to myself well what storage unit you know you mean you still have these things um so so in that moment I was like having a personal thing with with realizing those things that were moved out of the house did not go away they're in a storage unit um And then also as a filmmaker being like, well, that seems like a really interesting thing, um, that needs to be unpacked. Um, and I don't have a camera, um, but we're going, I think like it's sort of following the lessons learned from my mom and and my dad, the themes of, of embracing plan B, uh, you know, I had to live that out as the, as a filmmaker, um, and not be so precious about these things, um, about my process, uh, because I don't really have one. Um, um, I have a relationship with my subjects. Uh, I have a relationship with the audience and I don't at any point really know what, what either is. Um, Um, But all I can do is um, be authentic and uh, be real. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know, for example, what my experience with losing my mom would be like if I didn't have a film to make about it. Um, and, And I can't um separate those things um and i think you know a, a lot a lot of filmmakers and 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 you know i've i've read i, I recently read this book called uh, performing morning um by the an author uh his name's guy cools and and i reached out to him and just said you know i'm a fan and thank you for this work and and he wrote and i you know mentioned my film to him And uh, he wrote me back and he said that he was getting a lot of those comments and just saying that there's so many, he's heard from so many artists who had the experience of loss and pouring themselves into a project. Um, And so I think that that's kind of proof um, that a lot of work that we do is um uh is elegiac um and uh processing some type of loss and mourning um in in many ways so so i don't really know how you separate um how you separate being a filmmaker from having a relationship with with uh, your subject
0: so this will be a somewhat abrupt turn of questioning, because there is the meta- metaphysical side of filmmaking, which we've kind of delved into, but there's also the mechanical side. And mm. I can't help but wonder, because it's my nature when I'm watching a film, I want to know how the sausage is made. I presume you are a one-man crew for the bulk of this film. I'm curious how you approached this book tour. You're in and out of all these different locations. Um, you got a lot of coverage to get. What was your approach as a tactician?
1: Um, yes, most of it was just me. Uh, there were a few times where I was able to get a friend to to meet us somewhere and, and film. Um, so essentially, I knew that we would get a lot of pretty road footage when I was riding in the car. I knew that there'd be a lot of downtime in the car. Um, and, uh, so I had a goal of capturing some scenery every day. I had a goal of trying to, um, instigate some conversation, um, on, on most of the car rides. Uh, and I think that like some of that awkwardness comes through cause I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to my dad about, you know, about his life and about loss and about what we're experiencing. Um, And uh, I think, you know, I tried to get establishing shots of every bookstore that we went to. Um, I, when we had the events themselves, I tried to have a, a camera that was locked down somewhere getting a wide shot. And then I would have a handheld camera where I, where I was trying to capture things that were interesting, that could be used for montage, that could be, um, that could be, uh, uh, like kind of B roll for like any space, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it was just it was it was a lot uh happening at any given point and of course too much too much to ha- handle because I couldn't you know I couldn't really monitor sound and I couldn't um stop someone from sitting directly in front of my camera um until it was too late, right? And so uh it was just it there was just a lot of Uh, checking and double checking and, um, uh, you know, kind of filming with one eye open, looking at the other, you know, looking towards the other camera. Um, I would, uh, I, I would also try to get in early to the events and I would set up the wide shot and then I would try to take pieces of furniture or something to block off where I would be in frame, uh, so that I wasn't capturing myself too often, um, filming him. Uh, and that way I could, I could get sort of a standard, you know, two shot, uh, scene if, if I needed to. So there were, there were a lot of like interesting, surprising things that happened in post-production when, um, when I sat down to look at what was actually captured, um, because some of it wasn't what I, what I expected. Um, um, but overall I think that those, those imperfections help what turned out to be sort of the, the more like raw feeling of the material. Cause like, for example, I never intended to use, audio with no supporting video um but that that's what happened i i captured an essential conversation between my dad and myself that was only on iphone audio um and then i had to cover that with you know um whatever video worked and that turned out to be iphone video right and so some of these book tour stops where I had a little bit more control and had like a better camera that, uh, were accidentally out of focus and and in a way, um, like it, it ended up all coming together. Um, as long as, you know, I just had to kind of accept it and ride with it in, in post and work it all together. It was just all about, um, can I get clean audio? That was kind of my primary target. And then, um, and can I get a wide shot? I can't help but wonder, have you
0: reflected on how differently you would have processed that year with your dad if you were just there riding along, sitting in the crowd watching? Do Do you feel like you processed what was happening? Differently, because you saw it through the lens of a filmmaker.
1: Yeah, I think, kind of like you said, that that the film was found in the edit. It's it's a found film, and that's a reflection of my experience. It's a found experience. The uh, iterative, repetitive requirement of making the film, specifically editing the film made me, um, change lenses, you know, um, it made me confront things that I was feeling, um, about losing my mom, about, uh, traveling with my dad and trying to protect him or being frustrated with him or worrying about him. Um, being inspired by him, all of those things it made me put it put it all on the table constantly, and um, and decide what matters. Um, so, in this way, it helped me integrate the loss into my own personal core narrative, and it also um, helped me explain that experience with my dad and, and what, what, who he is to me. Um, and without the film, yeah, I, I I don't know what, what it would be. Uh, I think that some of those phases of, of thought, if you will, I can't think of a better way to describe it would have lasted longer. You know, um, I would still be in, 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 in some of those mindsets, um, and some of those voices would still be uh, loud uh, today in my own mind. But making the film forced me to work through work through it, work with them. Um, and I don't mean work through it in the sense that like I've left all that behind or whatever it is. I just mean um, you know how I carry it with me. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think like there's so many, there's so many ways to reflect on that experience traveling with my dad, um, and, and what that means. And part of my goal with the film was to create something that I could attach different meaning to, um, in the future. And, um, and uh, not have it sort of sealed in a way where it can only have one meaning and where, uh, where I've sort of put a stamp and said, this is what this is about. Um, because I don't know. One of the reasons why I en- enjoy this process of speaking to people, and now that the film is out, is because I hear things that are meaningful and impactful and new uh, for me still.
0: So in the film's final act, something happens that I did not see coming as a viewer. Your dad finds new love. And I'm, I'm curious, did you see that happening? And how did you process that, that change in the script, if you will?
1: I didn't see it happening as early as it was happening. The viewer, the audience gets the same experience that I got, um, just quicker. And I'm so happy it happened. Uh, Teresa, my stepmom is a wonderful part of my life and our lives. Um, and the way that the two of them talk about, um, their experience is, it's incredible. Um, you know, they use in the film, my dad talks about, you know, they say the room is crowded. Um, and it's true. Um, we talk about my mom, we talk about, Teresa's husband and daughter who she lost real time. I didn't see that. I didn't see it coming, but I knew that my dad was, you know, like he went from talking about, uh, what if, you know, they say you're supposed to meet, see your spouse again in heaven. Um, uh, well, what if you get remarried? Well, you know, that's going to be a rough day. That's kind of, that's, that's what he says early in the film. And and when I captured that, I just thought it was like funny or whatever. Later on, uh, he's saying, telling, you know, asking me about is it okay if he takes a woman out to coffee? Is it okay? What do I think about him going to the movies with someone? I did not expect that coming. And that's one of the realizations that I had about in making the film and editing the film is it so clearly showed me that we had been having this conversation for a long time, a much longer time than I realized. Um, And so it was important to me to structure the film in a way that would sort of drop the same hints. You know, you get the same hints that I got. You know, I think the other thing that was important is to not give a sense of time. Um, because that was one of the first, one of the first questions I get from people about, uh, my dad getting remarried is, um, how long after your mom died did, uh, did, did he start dating or did they get married? Um, and I just think like, well, that's not the point. They made their own decision when they felt comfortable. So I have to
0: ask because I'm, I'm always curious about this. When, when you have an observational documentary, There's always the question about, when is my story complete? How did you wrestle with knowing when the story had told itself?
1: Um, Yeah, that was really difficult, especially um, during 2015 and 2016 um, and 2017. I, I didn't really know where this would end. And I thought, you know, initially I thought like there's going to be a title card that says on X date, Carol Walls, Mr. Owita's Guide to Gardening hits the New York Times bestseller list. You know, like there's going to be something that happens where we can just sort of fade to black um, with some type of theme state restated or theme stated. Uh, I guess you're going to have to put a spoiler alert or something at some point. Um, but but then when um teresa entered our lives and um and they decided that they were going to get married they wanted a, a a wedding video uh from me that I did f- for them i was like you know actually that would that that actually would be a good ending uh to the film the way it worked for me was I felt like, you know, the way that death is familiar to all of us and uh, the way that that's used in film as sort of a touchstone, so is a wedding and so is marriage. So I like this idea of opening the film in an empty room, uh, where he's at, he's at like a library in Florida. And there's three women in the room, and they ask him essentially, Who are you? What is your name? You know, and ending the film where we've gone through this whole journey with my dad, and he ends up in a room that is filled with people who know him and love him. And uh, the audience knows him at this point as well. Um, and so that, that really solidified the, the end of the film for me. The more important the relationship, uh, uh, with the person that you've lost, the more important, the more valuable that is, the more energy you have to essentially do it again. And I just didn't see that coming.
0: So th- this film, was so good that i have to ask i hope you're going to make another film i hope you make many more films can you talk about anything that you might be working on today
1: oh thank you um i am right now i am editing a film about uh prep school basketball coach uh it's another personal film Uh, it's called the passing game and is about uh fletcher errett who was a um uh biology teacher and postgraduate basketball coach at Fork Union Military Academy in Virginia where he coached over 40 years and won over 800 games and you know the stats are kind of unrivaled but what's important about him is, is the way that he impacted uh, so many people with um, very simple philosophies so he sort of has this unorthodox approach um, and an unrivaled uh, impact uh, on the game. And, um, so, uh, I'm making, uh, a, uh, a film that is about his career, but more about his philosophies and how, um, you know, uh, um, how he was able to impact so many people from different backgrounds, uh, in, in such a small amount of time and, uh, and how we can all kind of, uh, emulate that and, and apply that, uh, to our own lives, um, so so I'm editing that right now, um, and uh, and we'll see we'll see what happens with that. But I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to sharing that as well.
0: Well, Phil, this has been such a pleasure. It, it strikes me that this film, in the most organic way imaginable, kind of illustrates the journey is a magical thing. But to see it captured so organically and authentically on film was just a real privilege. Thank you for making this film. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think this is going to have a long life because it's just
1: timeless. Thank you. Thank you. No, this is really, um, really a pleasure. So thank you so much, Scott.
0: Thanks again to Phil Wall. His film, The Bookkeepers, can be seen on Amazon Prime or Apple TV. See you next time.